Good morning. It is good to see all of you uh, this Sunday, as it is every Sunday. Uh, happy Thanksgiving week. I hope that you guys, yeah, have some uh, good opportunity to celebrate with friends and family. I know we certainly have a lot to be thankful for. Um, now, if you're here this morning, I assume that you have some level of interest in hearing what God has to say concerning how you should live your life, right? Like here at H2O, we believe that God is real, uh, that he's active, that he's relational, that he wants us to connect with him, and that he wants us to walk with him and to actually follow him in obedience. And uh, one of the ways that, that God wants to teach us and shape us and show us how to live is through his written word. And that's why every Sunday when we get together, we devote a large portion of our time together to reading his word and teaching it. All right, and this morning is going to be no different. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I actually, uh, we're going to be reading a little bit more than we usually would even on a Sunday morning. I kind of have two warnings I need to give you before we dive into this sermon. The first off is that we're going to be reading a ton of scripture this morning, right? We're going to be going through two full chapters of scripture. Um, it's okay, don't freak out, I'll, I'll still be reasonable. Um, but it, it's just, Paul has a lot to say about this particular topic that we're going to be speaking on this morning. And it's good, like, that we're going to sit and read together for a while. You know that there were three things that uh, Paul told his friend Timothy to devote himself to while he was gone. And one of those was explicitly the public reading of Scripture. He literally said that, 1 Timothy 4.13. He said, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. And so that's why we actually even spend a lot of time just reading the Scripture together in our service, is because we want you to really know it and see it and be familiar with it. And then we'll go back and kind of start to, to look at it more deeply and, and see how we can apply it to our lives. So that's one thing. We're going to be reading a lot this morning. Uh, another thing is that we are going to be talking about money. Okay? That, that is the thing that Paul had so much to say on that we're going to read two full chapters on this topic uh, this morning. Now, I am oftentimes hesitant to talk about money. Actually, if you come here at H2O a lot, you know it's, it's not something that we discuss probably as much as we should. And uh, the reason is because, um, at least why I'm hesitant, I know that a lot of people who claim to be Christians have abused uh, speaking about money before. Uh, there's people that I, I don't think are even Christians that uh, pretend to be and that try to twist the scriptures and use them as a means to try and make themselves uh, rich. Uh, some people complain that churches talk about money too much or that they're just uh, corrupt organizations that are out there trying to get your money. And unfortunately, some of those complaints are true um, in, in various situations. Jesus warned us that there would be false prophets. He called them wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, people that are out, they're, they're trying to hurt the sheep. They're only looking for selfish gain. Um, and, and so I think that because that's been a reality and that money is so often an area where the scriptures are abused, that... Um, it can sometimes make those of us that really have a heart for, for helping people know Jesus just say, I'm going to stay away from talking about this at all because I don't want to talk about money and let it be a stumbling block in the way of people learning about the gospel and coming to see their sin and their need for Christ and their need to be brought back into relationship with God. And while that sounds nice, uh, the reality is that if we want to be people that follow God faithfully and that teach his word faithfully, we're going to have to talk about money because it talks about it a lot. As a matter of fact, Randy Alcorn wrote a great book called The Treasure Principle. He said this, 15% of everything Christ said relates to money and possessions. 
This is more than his teachings on heaven and hell combined. Why did Jesus put such an emphasis on money and possessions? Because there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. We may try to divorce our faith and finances, but God sees them as inseparable. And they are. You know, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want to know where your heart's dwelling, look at where your money's going. Okay? Now, Jesus talked a lot about money in the Gospels, uh, but it's also a topic we see come up frequently in other areas of Scripture as well. And so you know if you've been with us uh, here this semester at H2O, we've just been preaching through Paul's uh, second letter to the Corinthians, or at least the one we call Second Corinthians. It was actually probably his fourth letter to him. Um, but whatever, the letter that we call Second Corinthians, we've just been going through that verse by verse every week. And uh, one of the reasons even that we like to preach just through books of the Bible here is because it lets the Scripture just even set the agenda for what we're going to talk about. So it's just like, cool, well, he's talking about money here. That's what we're going to talk about this Sunday. Uh, so that's where we are here in 2 Corinthians chapters uh, 8 and 9. So I'm actually really excited to discuss this because I believe that if we get a biblical view of money and generosity, uh, that that is one, something that's actually going to change you and help you a lot. And that it also has the power to change the world around us. Um, so let's pray, and then we'll dive into the Scripture. God, we love you and just thank you so much that you are a good and generous God. Lord, you are, are so rich and you are so generous. And you bless us in so many ways, God. And, and one of those is with the treasure of your word. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would help it to sink into our hearts and minds this morning. God, help us to be people that know your word and that act on it. Holy Spirit, we pray that um, you would move amongst us, uh, convict us, guide us, comfort us, do whatever you need to in this space, Lord, uh, to, to form us into the church that you want us to be. We love you so much, Lord, and we pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to read all of 8 and all of 9. I'll have the text on the screen up there. If you want to follow along your own Bible, you can do that as well. Uh, I'll be reading out of the NIV this morning. It says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability— Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work 
so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. In addition, we're sending with them our brother, who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that the churches can see it. There's no need for me to write you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be, for if any Macedonians came with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. For each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for your hearts, for you their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. All right, it's the word of the Lord. So, 
what, what's going on here? The first thing I want to do is just kind of give you a brief synopsis. Hey, this is what was happening, and then we'll talk a little bit about what we can draw from it uh, here today. So, first off, what was going on in uh, this passage? Um, this, is, this comes in the midst of a long letter that Paul had written the Corinthian church. We've been studying it all semester. And uh, throughout much of this letter, he's been trying to repair this kind of strained relationship that he has with them. Because there were people in Corinth that were kind of doubting his authority as an apostle. There was some character assassination going on. People spreading lies about him. And so he's kind of been smoothing some of those things out and, and helping them to see that he's actually a faithful Christian servant. And that's even been the title of our series, Picture of a Faithful Christian Servant. And so each week we've kind of seen these different aspects of, of what a faithful Christian servant is. And uh, this week we're going to see that a faithful Christian servant is generous. Um, now as Paul w- had this uh, relationship with them, it was, he, he had, w- was the guy that actually started this church. He led many of them to Jesus. And uh, with that he continued to maintain a concern for them. And so not only did he want to fix this, this kind of broken relationship, but he also knew that he needed to continue to call them out for sin and call them to repentance. And uh, John talked some about that last week, how he had written this uh, kind of difficult letter where he was calling this out, and the people responded well to it. They repented, and that was great. And so now as, as we see that they did that, Paul is calling them not only to abstain from, from living in sin, but also to actually live out the things that Jesus calls us to do. And one of those things is to live a generous lifestyle. So now Paul is transitioning to this long section about how he wants them to live out their faith. And one of the ways that they can live out their faith is through being generous and giving to uh, this, this collection that he's taking up. A very real and practical way that they could live out their faith in this time was by giving money to help other Christians that were struggling financially. Now, the specific recipients of this offering are not mentioned here, even in these two chapters. It doesn't tell us exactly who they are, uh, but it is almost certainly going to help Christians that were in Jerusalem. All right, he wrote about this offering uh, in a couple different places in some other letters. So first off, at the end of Romans, he said this, Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. Okay? And also, if you were to look at 1 Corinthians, at the end of that letter, he also spoke about this gift with them earlier. He says this in 1 Corinthians 16, 1-3. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. So it seems that the church in Jerusalem was struggling. Uh, people were in need there. And so Paul is kind of going through this massive fundraising campaign amongst all these different churches that have been planted around the Mediterranean world. And he's taking up this offering and he's going to send it to help the saints that are struggling in Jerusalem. We don't know why their situation necessarily was so dire there. We know there had been some famine and bad harvest. Um, there's a lot of different um, ideas about why their situation might have been bad. I've already got a lot I'm going to talk about this morning, so I won't get further into that. Um, but what we do know is that the Corinthians had previously expressed interest in trying to help meet this need. Okay? And so now, Paul is trying to say, hey, follow through on this desire. Right? We saw that there in 2 Corinthians 8, 10 to 11, where he says, now finish the work in verse 11, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. 
So in encouraging them to complete this act of giving, he's going to refresh them on a lot of the, the blessings of why they should even be people that do give. And he also educates them on some principles concerning how they should give. You know, we don't find ourselves in a situation this morning where we're taking up a collection for people in Jerusalem that are struggling, but we do live in a world where there's a lot of problems around us, and there's a lot of things that could be helped, a lot of people that could be helped by the church living in generosity. And so I think this is really important for us to understand uh, all of these reasons for why we as Christians should live as generous people, and then to see some principles about how we should exercise that generosity effectively. All right, so we're going to be looking at first that motivation for giving and second, I hope to equip you and being able to know how to give responsibly. Um, so first, let's talk about motivation. I have seven reasons for you out of here um, that show th these are reasons why as Christians we should be people that are generous. And the first is that giving is an opportunity and not a burden. Giving is an opportunity and not a burden. And honestly, I think that right there, if we could just even get that down, our lives would change drastically with our relationship to money. Look at this in, in 8.4. He, he talked about the Macedonian church, so he's telling the Corinthians they should give, and then he uses the Macedonians as an example, saying, look how great these people were doing. He said in 8.4, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Think about that. They were urgently pleading for the opportunity to give. I think that's different than how most of us are. I think for most of us, if there's a need, we kind of hope that someone else is going to take care of it. Like, if we're just being honest with ourselves, I think a lot of times, oh yeah, I hope that the rich people will take care of that, or something like that. But, but the Macedonians, they were actually the furthest thing from rich. It actually talks about how they gave in the midst of severe trial, affliction, poverty. They, they had every excuse to not give, and yet they were saying, no, I want to urgently plead with you for this opportunity. We want to be a part of this. They were pleading for the privilege. And you know, giving is a privilege and not a burden. Why? Because it allows us to invest in something that's important. You know, we get to make kingdom investments that are so much more valuable than the vast majority of other things that we could be spending our money on. When you think about the, the typical ways that you spend your money, a lot of it is not going to have much of an eternal impact. But when we're giving that in a way that's actually helping people, that's, hel that's helping meet needs, that's helping the gospel go forth, stuff like that that's going to have an eternal impact, like that is an awesome investment. I love the fact that my money allows me to have a hand in things that I would not otherwise be able to do. You know, I, I'm, I, through giving... I get to have a hand in, in the Bible being translated into new languages. Like, I get to have a hand in, like, sending missionaries off into more unreached places. I get to have a hand in providing relief to people that are, are struggling in difficult places. I get to have a hand in sending Bibles and goats and stuff to people that are in need. Like, my, my giving allows me to have a hand in all these kind of things that I otherwise wouldn't be able to do. Because I can only be one place at one time. But my money allows me to kind of multiply my impact and invest in other things that are really, really important. And that is an awesome investment opportunity. Uh, you, you think about some of you guys, maybe they're into stocks or whatever. You're always trying to say, man, what, what's a stock that I can invest in right now that's, that's going to grow and it's going to give me a greater return in the future? Well, when it comes to your money, the, the best way that you can invest it is in eternity. Like there are eternal things that you can invest in 
right now. You know, I don't have this text on the screen, but even in Luke 16, 9, Jesus said, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus wants us to use the kind of wealth that we have here in this world, that, that it's here today, it's gone tomorrow, it doesn't last forever, but we can use it in a way that impacts people for eternity. And I think the implication of that verse is that we use this wealth in a way that helps people come to the Lord so that when we enter into eternity, they're going to be there as well. You know, Jesus in Matthew 25, I won't read that passage either, but he talks about how there was, um, you know, feeding the poor, uh, visiting the, those that are in prison, taking care of the sick, all this kind of stuff. He said, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. There was an eternal reward that came for these people because of the way that they were using their earthly resources. And so when we become aware of a need around us, we should not see it as an annoying burden that we hope someone else will take care of, but rather we should learn to see it as an opportunity that we have to make a kingdom investment. You know, the second reason that we as Christians should be generous people is that we belong to God. And if we belong to God, so does our money, right? Verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 5 says, They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, also to us. Their generosity of the Macedonian church came from the fact that they gave themselves first to God. Their, their hearts were captured by the Lord, and so whatever God wanted to direct them to do, that's where their money was going. And that's why they were such weird people, right? That were poor and afflicted, yet pleading for the privilege to, to give. Who does that? Regular people don't do that. Only people who are captured and controlled by the love of God would have that kind of attitude. And, you know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago in 2 Corinthians 5, this idea that we don't live for ourselves anymore. As a matter of fact, some people might even think that we're crazy. And, and Paul was addressing that. Some people thought that he was crazy. Uh, but he said in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15, for the love, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We do not live for ourselves anymore. If you are a Christian, you realize that, that you've given up 100% of ownership of everything that you have. Jesus said this very plainly, Luke 14, In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Let me read that again. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. The, the call to follow Jesus is not an add-on in your life. It's not something where it's like, yeah, I'll do this in my free time. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you hand him absolutely everything. Everything. You, realize you are not an owner of anything. You're just a steward. You know what a steward is? There's somebody that doesn't own, but they rather just manage somebody else's assets. Every single thing that you have, including your own life, belongs to the Lord. And you're just trying to steward it and manage it in a way that is honoring to him. So since God is actually the owner of every dollar that you have and every item that you possess, you should be thinking about how he wants you to manage those things. It's his stuff. And if you do this, you are undoubtedly going to find yourself giving money to the things that God cares about to accomplish the causes that God cares about. You know, the third reason that we should be generous is that it's simply part of the Christian lifestyle. Look at this in 8-7. 
But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you excel in this grace of giving. Okay? Um, so when Jesus gave the great, com- uh, great Commission, does anyone here have the Great Commission memorized? I think there's more of you than that that just don't want to raise your hands. But, um, so when, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. When Jesus calls us to be disciples, he doesn't call us to be obedient in 90% of the areas that he taught. He calls us to obey all that he has commanded us. And what Paul is telling this Corinthian church here is the same kind of thing. He says, hey guys, you do great in a lot of areas, right? He says, you already excel in everything, right? They had strong faith. Their speech was godly. They knew the right things. They were serious about following Jesus. They loved people well. He says, now Paul is saying, hey, I want you to also excel in this grace of giving. If you want your life to, to really be something that reflects Jesus well, where you're, you're being obedient to him in every area, then generosity is going to have to be a major marker of your life. We want to be people that excel in this. So, you know, how, how do people around you view you? Are you seen as a generous person that's willing to get, give what you have to help others in need? If so, then great, like, keep excelling in that. And if not, then this is a really important part of the Christian life that God is calling you to obedience in. You know, the reason that generosity is such a big marker of the Christian life is because generosity is one of the defining characteristics of God. And it's his image that we're being more and more transformed into. We saw this earlier in 2 Corinthians as well. Let me remind you of it, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God is transforming us more and more and more into his image. And as he does that, that's going to make us more and more generous people. You know, which brings me to my next point. We follow the example of Jesus. It's one of the other reasons that we're generous, right? Like we're literally followers of Jesus. And look at what Paul said in in 8, 9. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Is there anyone that's more generous than God? No. God's the only one that can actually give anything because he owns everything anyway. Um, but man, like, look, look at the example of Jesus and this generosity. Though he was rich, what's Paul talking about? It's like, what he means, remember, Jesus is God the Son. He's eternal, right? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. We see all things that have been made have been made through him. So Jesus, like, was in heaven like, like he's, he's God eternal, he's, he's sufficient, he doesn't need anything else from anybody. He didn't have the weakness of this flesh or any of that kind of stuff. And what did he do? For our sake he became poor. What is, it, what is Paul talking about there? He's talking about one of the things is what we're celebrating at Christmas. Is the, is, one of the things we're celebrating at Christmas is Jesus becoming poor right? That, that God, who he, here he was, he was in heaven, he says, I'm going to come down and take on flesh. That's a massive downgrade. It's <laughs> a massive downgrade, okay? And, and n- not only did Jesus come and take on flesh, 
He became really poor. He came and took on flesh as a baby. He didn't even like zap himself to human to like uh, adult right away. Like he let someone wipe his butt and and you know change whatever primitive diapers they must have been using and that kind of thing. Like that's humility, right? Like that's becoming poor. And not only that, he he was born in a manger. Like he didn't, he didn't even get a hospital room or anything or even a hotel room for that time. And and then n- not only is he does he take on flesh? He's born as a baby. He's born in a manger. He's born in an obscure place. Bethlehem, not, that's not that, that big of a deal. And, and he lives and grows up in this place called Nazareth, which no one really had much respect for. He doesn't live in a fancy dwelling or a prestigious city. And ultimately, as he does all of that, his poverty is shown most in the fact that he went in, to the cross. You know, we, we uh, sang that song, like, Man of Sorrows, this morning. Like, talk about becoming poor. I mean, think about that. The, the, the Jesus, who's God, the Son, eternal, comes and takes on flesh, walks amongst us, is rejected and hated by men, is whipped, is beaten, has a crown of thorns put on his head, he's nailed to a cross, he's, he's stabbed, he bleeds, and he dies for us. Talk about generosity. He who was rich became poor for your sake. You ever think about the gospel through the lens of generosity? Like Jesus gave his righteousness to you. He became sin who knew no sin so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. Guys, that's the gospel. That we have a God who was rich and became poor for us that we might become rich. And what does that mean? that we, through faith in Jesus, get to be adopted into the family of God. We're forgiven of our sin. We're adopted as God's own children, and we are heirs to his kingdom, right? Like, imagine the son of a king is rich, right? Because <laughs> they have access to the kingdom. That's what we have now as Christians, as heirs to this kingdom, recipients of it. We have a generous God. There was a quote I heard one time, I said, uh, we're most like God when we're giving. Man, that's so true. We have a God that gives. And you know, another reason that we're generous is because we love people. You know, now, in verse 11, Paul said, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Now, the reason I'm, I'm using that to illustrate this point that we love people is because love is not just an emotion or a sentiment, okay? Love is something that requires action. Love, love isn't just a feeling, it moves us to go and do something. If we really love people, then it should compel us to actually meet the needs that they have. Uh, in 1 John three seventeen to 18, we see this. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Man, if we are to be people that that love, then that's going to make us people that are generous. Because love will result in that kind of an action. And guys, the early church was really good at taking care of each other. Like, really good. And I think we've lost that in a lot of ways uh, here in the United States. I I long for that, to have that that, that kind of... um, true 
familial bond where it's just, we take care of each other through everything. Uh, in Acts 4, I won't read the whole passage. I don't think I have it in my slides, but uh, just it even talks about how uh, they, they shared so well and, and didn't see anything as their own and took care of each other so well that there was not a needy person among them. Not a needy person among them. Like, imagine that. Right? And that was a work of love in this community. <clears throat> you know, another reason <clears throat> that we're generous is because we're people that trust God to provide what we need to be generous. See this in uh, chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. It says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God is not short on resources. Like, he knows how to supply us and everything. If he calls us to be generous, he actually even wants to give us with the, mean, the means that we need to be generous. And I think that so often, fear is something that holds us back from being generous a lot of time. I know for me it is. Like, it's one of my greatest barriers to generosity is fear that I'm not going to have what I need to take care of myself and my family in the future. Now, we do need to have wisdom in how we give, and I'm going to talk about that here in a little bit. Um, but I also think that we need to have way more faith than we probably do in the fact that we actually have a God who sees us, knows us, cares about our needs, and will provide for them. Like, we don't, I, I think that a lot of us just don't take those words of Jesus very seriously. And I've been convicted by that more and more over the years. I'm like, I, I just don't know, I feel like I kind of trust my savings account more than I trust God. So I know this is something that we struggle with here in the U.S. I think it's interesting that this is a common problem in our country because we're such a wealthy nation. Um, but I think that might actually be part of what contributes to it. We're so used to trusting in money because we've always had access to it that we're weak when it comes to trusting God. But God consistently promises that he will take care of us. And when you see here, he doesn't want to just take care of us, but he wants to take care of us in such a way that we're also able to take care of others. He wants to enrich us so that we can be generous on every occasion. You know, this is one of those things that sometimes people might try and twist the scripture and say, ah, God wants you to be rich and, you know, build up worldly wealth and that kind of thing. I don't know. I, I don't know what your financial situation is going to be like. It's, there's probably going to be many different financial situations amongst the people in this room. But at the end of the day, for all of it, remember, you're just a steward. And so it all is always just coming back to what does God want me to do with this money? How does God want me to build up his kingdom? How does God want me to bless others with this? You know, and, and uh, finally, the seventh reason I have in this passage I see for why we should be people that are generous is that our generosity gives glory to God. Look at this in uh, 9, 12 to 13. He says, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. You see, when we give, not only does it help the people directly that we're giving to, but it also glorifies God. It results in many uh, acts of, of thanksgiving towards him, right? And this is great because one of the main reasons that you're alive is to glorify God. 
So that doesn't that work out nicely? That you can be generous and you can be good at doing one of the main things that you exist for, which is glorifying God, because you'll glorify him in that and honoring him by, by being generous. And then uh, as the people receive this generous gift, they're going to thank him. And then that gives more glory to him. It's great. It all works together. And so we've seen in this passage, man, there's a lot of reasons for why we should be people that are generous and give. And I hope that this has motivated you to really uh, grow in this area in your life. But you might be left with the question of, okay, like, how? Like, how exactly do I do this? Because the reality is, um, there are so many needs around us that it could feel totally overwhelming. It's like, should I just go and totally empty my bank account today and, you know, give it to someone that I see on the street or something like that? I would, I would not recommend doing that. But, um, you, you know, there, there is this practical question of, like, what do I do with this? Like, I, I want to be generous. How, how can I be effectively generous? And I'll give you three principles that I see here uh, from this passage. First is that we need to be people that give with guidance, okay? And the first guidance is from the Lord. Go back to that, what I think is a very important verse in this passage, 8.5. And they exceeded our expectation. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. The number one thing that you must do when it comes to giving is be responsive to how the Lord leads. Now, I think that for you ultra-pragmatists out there that just want me to give you a black and white, this is exactly what you do, I can't, like, that's not how God designed the Christian life to be. You know, if you, if you want a very simple, clear set of rules written out in black and white for exactly how you're supposed to do everything, that would be a lot closer to the religion of the Pharisees than it is to following Jesus. Because right? that's exactly what the Pharisees tried to do. They didn't want to think or connect with God or anything. They just wanted to, let me do exactly what this, what this says to the letter. I don't care about what my heart is. I don't care about what the reason is for it. I'm just going to go. And, and God has called us to be people that are actually reconciled to him, with him. We walk together, right? Micah talks about that. that Seek justice, love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. We follow him. And so the reality is that the Christian life can't actually be lived effectively without this connection to God. He's put his Holy Spirit within us, and we need to be people that press into him and literally are, are, are praying. We're reading his word. We're asking him, God, guide me in how you want me to be generous. Help me to know how to be responsive to the many needs that I'm around. I know especially for those of us, most of us live here in Clifton, there's a lot of needs around us. I know I can't go to the grocery store without getting asked for money. Is how do you know how to navigate these things? The, the best thing that's going to help you is being a person that is walking with the Lord and asking him to guide you in how you should be reacting in all of these different situations with the needs that you're going to come across. You know, that's that idea of giving us, giving ourselves first to the Lord. And you know, a- after that, we can be people that also get guidance from godly people. I think that is really helpful, right? Like the Corinthians were getting guidance from Paul right here, even in, as he was telling them all this kind of stuff about how to give. He was even helping them know a worthy mission to give to, right? Like he had already selected the thing. It's, we're going to take up this collection for the saints in Jerusalem. So great. He was helping them even identify a worthy need worth giving to. <clears throat> and, you know, we try to do that with you guys here every now and then, even as we talked about the, for example, the, the Bibles and the goats this morning. Um, so, so give with guidance, first from the Lord, also from godly people. Um, the, the second principle I would say 
<clears throat> is to give with wisdom, okay? And this relates both to who you give to and how you give. Uh, first, let's talk about that. Be wise about who you give to. One thing, especially on an organizational level, is are they going to be responsible with this gift? Look at this in eight, uh, 18 to 21. This might have been one of the more, I don't know, quote-unquote boring parts of the passage, but this actually shows us something about the importance especially of uh, organizations and administering gifts well. 8, 18 to 21. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. So you see here, uh, Paul is trying to collect this gift. He's sending Titus to get it, but he's sending two other really trustworthy brothers with him as well. He's saying, we're taking pains to make sure that we do this right. And so when you're thinking even about organizations that you're going to give to, you should say, is this an organization that is accountable? Like, like that's really responsible with the way that they handle funds. Uh, are they, they wasting it? Is there a bunch of stuff unaccounted for? Whatever. Like, you want to look into that. Are these people that I can actually trust to administer this gift well? Um, and, and the second thing about who to give to, you know, I have to say, will it be helpful for them? So this would be something where uh, just because someone's poor doesn't automatically mean that throwing money at them is the, is the right step, okay? Uh, <clears throat> for example, Second Thessalonians 3.10 says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Okay? So basically there's this idea of there are some people that are poor. But it does, if they're unwilling to do anything that's necessary to try and help get out of their situation, it doesn't mean that you should, should try to continue to enable them to live in that lifestyle. Now, are there other things that you can do and should do to help them? And are there times maybe that you're still going to be called to be generous towards people that are, that are being irresponsible? Yes. Our giving should not be based just on the idea of does this person deserve it or not. That's not really generosity. We certainly don't deserve the grace of God. Uh, and so we should be more than willing to give towards people that we might say don't quote-unquote deserve it. But what we do have to think about is, is this actually something that's truly helpful for them? And so if there's someone, for example, in this case, which they were dealing with this even in Thessalonica, uh, that there are people that just want to be lazy and not work, and yet they still want to just live off of the generosity of others, that's a person that what they don't need is more money thrown at them. They need help learning how to, how to work and be responsible and get a job and be able to provide for themselves, and not only themselves, but also others, Okay. And there's, there's great ways to do that. So if you're running into people that are in that type of situation, and you're struggling with that, I can't really address the nuance of this in, in this context, but if you want to talk with me, I'd be happy to give you some ideas for how you can help people that might be in that situation. Um, but I will give a shout out to City Gospel Mission. I think that's a great place to be directing people that you might find that are, are struggling to take care of themselves, um, but, but need to learn some of these skills to, to be able to be more productive. Um, but I also say that we need to be wise not only with regards to who we give to, but we need to be wise with how we give. Uh, and the, the first thing is we're called to give according to the means that we have. So in uh, verses 11 through 13 it says, Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it 
according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. Obviously, everyone here is in a different financial situation, and some of you have means to give that are way greater than others do. And you need to work that out with the Lord to decide what kind of uh, amounts uh, he's calling you to give. Now, if you want to go above and beyond, and, and you feel like the Lord's going to do that, like, by all means, have at it. The Macedonians were excited to do that. They were poor, and they were pumped to give. You know, I think about uh, the, the poor widow that Jesus saw, where she was putting in the two little copper coins that were worth almost nothing. Uh, and uh, she sa- he said she gave more than all these rich people that were bringing in big bags of money. It's like, it, I, I don't want you to think, oh, I'm poor, therefore I get out of giving or I shouldn't give. We need to go back to step one there. And remember, giving is, a, is an opportunity, not a burden. So re- regardless of where you are, even if you're poor, I hope that your heart longs and desires to give. Um, but I also don't want you to think that the Lord is asking you to drive yourself into poverty and not be able to take care of yourself so that you can give to others. There may be times where he's going to call you to do that, but as a rule, this seems like the idea we should go with, which is give according to the means, according to what you have and not according to what you don't have. And, and also, in this idea of giving wisely, um, I would say be people that plan to give. Like, make giving a priority in the way that you handle your finances. Look at this in uh, 9, verses 3 to 4, he says, But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, uh, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So Paul is writing this whole thing so that they can plan and be ready to give this gift once the person comes to be able to collect it. And we saw, we, I read earlier from 1 Corinthians 16, about how uh, they were taking up the collection in Jerusalem. He, here's what he recommends doing, uh, 16, 1 and 2 from 1 Corinthians. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will be made. So you see this idea, like, we should be people that can actually plan to give and to be generous. Uh, Cassie and I make giving a priority in our budget. It's one of the first items that we have. It's like, we want to maximize this as much as we can, because this is actually what we're most excited about. So we're going to say we have a certain baseline of, like, this is essential. And, and I, what I, I always recommend to people, start with at least 10%, right? I don't think that's a command. I, Old Testament tithe is a command. I don't think it's a command in the New Testament. But I still think it's a great baseline to say, I'm going to start with at least giving 10%. And then for, for Cass and I, our goal is always, man, we want to up that. We want to give, we, we give as much as we can because that's actually what we're most excited about. And that's actually what we care about. I get more joy out of that than I would get out of another streaming service subscription or something like that. Um, so, so put this into your budget. Uh, I know for, for my household, we even have like a, a category we call random giving in our budget, where it's like, okay, we're going to give to these specific people, these missionaries, these causes, and then we even say, hey, we're going to set aside some money every month that's just for random giving. We don't know how the Lord's going to want to use it, but we know that it's going to be available there. And so then as a need comes up, which they often do, it's like, sweet, I actually have plans to even be ready for this. 
And uh, you know what? There may be times where you need to even go above and beyond that. But just as a matter of wisdom, I think that's a great practice for us to be people where it's like, if we really care about giving and meeting the needs of others, let's be people that plan to be able to do it effectively. And then finally, the, the third thing that I would say is um, give with enthusiasm. Remember, giving is an opportunity, not a burden. You aren't doing this because this is something that you have to do or someone's twisting your arm into this. You're doing this because it's something that you care about and you want to do it. It should excite you that you get to give in order to empower uh, other people to enable things to happen that wouldn't otherwise happen. You know, I, I live off of a lot of the generosity of others. Like me and all the staff, like we raise support to allow us to be doing ministry full-time on campus. And, and my support is every time I go and I have an appointment with someone, ask them to make an investment in me to, to do this. It's like, man, I want them to see the opportunity that they're getting the chance to invest in college students coming to know Jesus and being discipled and raised up in the faith. And that excites them because they're like, you know what, I can't be on the campus down there myself, but I get to have a hand in making this happen. Sweet, I'm enthusiastic, I want to be in on this. And I've got people that have, that have been on my support team for over a decade because they love you guys. And they want to have a hand in helping you guys know Jesus and grow up, even though they're not going to meet most of you. You have people that are behind me that, that care about you and are supporting you. <clears throat> you know, God cares about our hearts and our, the enthusiasm that we have, even in giving. The, uh, and we, we see this in 9.5 through 7. He says, Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sowed sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, calling us to giving and generosity, I think, is actually one of the great ways that God has in sanctifying us. Like, he's not short on resources, but as he calls you to give, it's even something I think that he's doing to actually help make you a much more holy person. He's cutting those ties of greed and materialism and, and all this dirty stuff, I think, that can build up in our hearts as we let a love of money sit there. And, you know, when we give enthusiastically, it, it helps us reject a lot of the, the uh, just nastiness that we can get tied in by being people that care too much about money and worldly things. And when we give enthusiastically, it also impacts the others around us, right? I love this in, in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. He says, there's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, uh, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action." When you get excited about giving to God's causes, it can actually help stir up enthusiasm in other people as well. Now, we need to, we need to make sure we're doing that for the right reasons, okay? We, you don't want to give and be someone who's just like making a big deal every single time you do it and letting everyone else know so that they'll look at you. Jesus definitely condemns that. But if you're someone that's actually helping champion a cause and, and, and really trying to help uh, get other people to... to buy in and, and help give towards a certain cause, like your enthusiasm with that can be really infectious and it can spread to others as well. And that's exactly what was happening here. So in, in conclusion, when done properly, man, there are so many benefits to giving, so many benefits to being generous people. First, it blesses others, right? Like you have a direct need that you're getting to help meet in other people. 
and it also blesses you, right? I'm not talking about health and wealth, prosperity gospel here. I'm talking about something that's actually much more valuable than that. I'm talking about the joy that comes with actually making a difference in the lives of others and helping those who need it. I'm talking about becoming more like Jesus, right? Jesus, who's actually said that it is more blessed to give than receive. I love that, what, what Paul says here in Acts 20. He's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders. He says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words that the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Man, as, as we give, we're, our hearts are freed from the grip of materialism. You know, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Man, what if we start to put our treasure in kingdom causes? Our heart's going to be there. You know, we're warned against uh, the love of money. Beware of the love of money. It's the root of all kinds of evil. Man, giving helps free us from that love. And finally, as we're generous, it blesses God. Right, we talked about people give thanks to God. His name is lifted up. You get to, to, to even be used in the process of God answering the prayers of others. That's awesome. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so, man, may we be a church that is generous, right? Like, I, don't, don't let your stage in life, your income level, anything like that, be something that says, well, I, I don't get the opportunity to give right now. The Macedonians didn't do that. Instead, they were pleading, looking for opportunities. This is so much more about your heart than the amount of dollars that you can give. But if, if we learn to be a people that are generous, uh, then, then, then we will be people that start to look a lot more like the God that we follow. So, and I believe that our communities, our campus, our city will be blessed by that as well. The world that we live in even. So uh, let's pray and the band can come back up. Um, God, we love you. And I just thank you uh, for the love that you have for us and how generous you are. God, I thank you that um, your church just historically has, has done this, that, that they took care of each other. And God, I even think of like, I don't know, I, I don't know what would have happened in the first century in the midst of all the persecution and poverty and difficulty that like, if they hadn't been generous, I don't even know how they would have made it through. God, help us to be people that take care of each other. God, we, we ask that you would give us wisdom and knowing just even who to give and how to give and how much and all these kind of things, Lord, these, these questions that only you can answer specifically. But Lord, we thank you even for blessing with the means to even be people that are generous. No matter what we have, that we have this opportunity to be people that make some kind of investment in the lives of others. And so you're just, you're so good, God. You're worthy of all of our praise. I thank you that you give to us and uh, help us to be people that reflect you in the way that we give. We love you and pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen. Um, so you guys can stand and uh, we're gonna enter in the second worship set. But uh, as we do this, as usual, there's gonna be people around the room that you can pray with. Uh, but I also want to invite you, if, if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, man, I, I have a serious financial need and I need the help of the church then like, I, I want to invite you 
to come and speak to me about it. I'll be back there in the, in the back, somewhere in the back, probably in the back corner. Um, and I, I'm not making any pro- I promises. I don't know for sure what's going to happen. But I know that when, when there's a serious need that arises, that God's people need help with, that we should bring it to each other. As if you guys were around in the summer, a perfect example of this. Friends of mine, they, they had a baby, uh, someone that they knew, they'd already adopted a few kids, that the, there was a, a woman who got pregnant that they were connected to. She said, hey, I, I want you guys to adopt this baby. If not, I'm going to abort it. Well, adoption's not cheap. They needed about $20,000. And uh, I brought that need before you guys, and guess what? Every penny of that has been raised. They've Over $20,000 Christians have given to be able to, d- to adopt that baby. And thousands of it came from you guys. Yeah, right? Like, like seriously, that, that's the church. That's the church. And, and you know, some of it was you guys, and, and some of it was your brothers and sisters in other churches around the state of Ohio, and maybe even outside Ohio. Like, God's people can come together to make a real difference. And, and so, I don't know what needs there are in this room, but like I said, if, if that's you, you're like, man, I, I have a serious need that I need the help of the church with, then honestly, I want you to come and talk to me about it, and, uh, and we'll see what we can do, all right? So let's, let's stand and worship.